Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Colin Zach in the Morning. This is episode 15. It is November 1st, which means that the Doolittle Christmas tree is going up. You put it up today? Not yet, but it will be going up either today or sometime this week. Explain to me the insanity in which you experience at this time, because I like to give respect to Thanksgiving. I don't know what you like doing. Is it disrespectful to Thanksgiving to put up a tree? I assume so. I feel like I'm kind of one of those people where if you're not for me, you're against (laughs) me. So if you're not for Thanksgiving, you're against it. And so you can't be for Christmas right now because you're supposed to be for Thanksgiving. Look, look. So here's the compromise that we make. We don't put any ornaments on the tree. So who are you compromising with? Culture and society or like between you and Ashley, like in your marriage? Oh, that's a good question. I think Ashley's on board. I don't actually know. I guess I should check with her. (laughs) The tree can go up right after Thanksgiving. Honestly, weirdly, like Black Friday feels right. Like you've are Black Friday is such a funny holiday to me because it's Yeah. Oh, I'm thankful for everything God has given me. Now let's go buy a bunch of crap. (laughs) You know, it is like such a and what's funny is with Black Friday sales now, they happen like at 6 p.m. on Thursday. So we even oh, like yeah. celebrate a full day of gratitude here. Yeah, I yeah. just send Jeff Bezos all my money on Black Friday. So here's my question for you. When do you eat your Thanksgiving dinner? Oh. Do you do it, is it a dinner? Is it a lunch? Or do you have it like mid-afternoon? Like what's your what's your timeline for? All right, so Thanksgiving day, the lunch is the big meal. Okay. And we call it so dinner, like but it's like a lunch. Yeah, like noon or one or two, okay. early afternoon maybe. And then the dinner is late. It's past the typical dinner time and it's just leftovers. It's like a leftover mm. bonanza. Well, that's where so Jackie's family kind of does that where it's like a big lunch at noon or 1 and then later on like just like leftovers. Mm-hmm. My family always did a Thanksgiving dinner at like 3:30 in oh. the afternoon, which I hated because we just snacked like we'd have like hors d'oeuvres. Yeah. From 8 a.m. to 3.30, for eight <laughs> hours of that day, we are eating cheese and crackers so I could get to the stinking turkey. And one year, my mom cooked the turkey upside down, almost set the house on fire, but that's a totally different story. Oh, man, we got to get into so that So by the time we even got to 3.30, I'm like, this isn't even worth it anymore. And then we get to watch the Lions lose, and everyone, it's a classic Thanksgiving. Yep. Classic. Yeah. Although, I don't know. Maybe the Lions can pull it off this year. We'll see. Ah, uh, Potentially. I don't know. I'm in the boat where the Lions will just always lose. So for your Thanksgiving meal, is it uh, turkey, cranberry sauce? Any What kind of specialties do you have besides uh, the basics? My mom, for some reason, really liked going into like the fanciness of Thanksgiving. Like she'd Ooh. get the china out. She would get like dressing from like Williams-Sonoma and like like cranberry. Like it's like all like very nice. Is it a black tie event? Nice. It's like it almost feels like that, but I'm showing up in like shorts and Crocs. Yeah. Like I, it's that's what's funny to me is like we didn't invite anyone over. I mean, there were a couple family friends that would come at times, but it's like, well, it's just us. Let's get out the paper plates. I mean, like we're fine. But Jackie's family, they do like, oh, they do so much. They do like broccoli with like cheese sauce on the side, which oh. then means I end up putting cheese sauce on everything. Yeah, yeah, that's the danger and, with cheese sauce. It is the danger of cheese, but it's also the blessing. Yeah. Oh, yes. That's, that's, it's 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 two-edged, but I've only focused on the blessing of it. And so during – I love 
uh, I love her family's meal. And then her grandma brings over like shrimp cocktails oh. kind of a mm. thing and then like has like a homemade ranch. It is honestly incredible. And my mom's a good cook. Do not get me wrong. Other than she almost caught the house on fire. Great cook. But give me the cheese sauce over everything. Mm. That's the way to my heart. We have a seafood aversion on my side of the family. So no seafood, no shrimp cocktails, but we do the regular turkey. But then we also have um, stuffing. I guess that's a pretty basic one. Casseroles. You're so Big casual. into casseroles. So yeah. green bean casserole, one of my favorites. Yes, huge. Uh, huge. I huge love green bean casserole. Green bean casserole. Oh, man. Huge. You could just plop down the whole casserole right in front of me. Yeah. And I, I, I oh, might yeah. not even notice that there's a turkey at the table, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm the turkey in my mind is there for leftovers. It is let's let's get that bird in the in back in the fridge and let's make some turkey sandwiches tomorrow. That's, just just that's take the turkey goal. out of the oven and put it straight into the fridge. In. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because uh, for me, Thanksgiving is all about the sides mm. and being grateful and yeah. then buying a bunch of stuff. That yeah, don't exactly. Need. In that order. <laughs> and watching the lions lose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the staples of everything. Ah uh, yes, an American tradition. Tale as old as time. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, Zach, so we're back in our groundbreaking series, Three Leaders, Three Lessons. Last week, we did George Washington, and we talked Mm -hmm. about knowing when to step down as a leader and giving up responsibilities. Today, I'd like to bring us towards the modern time and talk about Apple CEO, former Apple Mm -hmm. CEO, Steve Jobs. See, when you said modern time, I thought you were going to go with Beyonce. Yeah, well, that, I thought that was well, going to be our next. Yeah, yeah. I mean, stop giving spoilers for week three. Week three. All right. I'm down for Beyonce. <laughs> yeah. So what I want to talk about is curiosity. And mm-hmm. I think Steve Jobs did a great job of embodying curiosity and then getting his followers as a leader to embrace curiosity. If we value curiosity and we see the success that Steve Jobs had staying curious and being willing to break the mold, how do we encourage that in followers or in the church? I would say either of those avenues is where we could take this conversation. I think what I've found in my leadership is usually curiosity comes out of a well of two things. Uh, One, delegation. When we trust the people we're working with, to join us in what we're doing when we're asking them uh, to take part in own, like owning what they're doing, mm-hmm. then they tend to start creativity starts to kind of come out of that. And I've really enjoyed seeing like the ability for them to start thinking about things differently than I do. Creativity and curiosity tend to be uh, personality traits for different individuals, but also just tends to be like, there's a new set of eyes on this. And that's where we kind of start to break the mold a little bit is because we're bringing in new people who feel empowered enough to sit there and go, oh, this is my role now. I can start to live into it. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing for me. I think the first thing tends to be delegation. Yeah. And I'd like to add that, you know, I think delegation is an important piece to this, but I think there's something more. So delegation, giving responsibility to one of your followers can lead them to be curious. But I think a critical part of that is an open-ended task. Because if you give mm. them something and say, okay, I need you to do the X, Y, and Z, they're probably just going to do X, Y, and Z the way that you told them to do it. But if you can mm. find ways to give your followers more of an open-ended slate that they can choose yeah. their own path. And that's where like, I saw – I had a, one of the guys that I followed in, in, I followed after him when, um, in the position I'm in now. And he said 
that he was more of a, a guardrails type of leader hmm. that he would kind of sit here and go, here are the guardrails, just operate within that. And I think like, I think that's totally fine. I, I enjoyed that. I like that. I think that's appropriate. It made me think I've never really come up. I had never come up with an, an analogy in which I like lead my team. I tend to be a, a foundation setter of here is where I want you to jump from. Hmm. Here's everything you need to know. Uh, here's everything underneath you to support you. Now jump out and go. Hmm. So if you have, in my mind, if you have all the basis and what they need, if they have all the support, and I think even with Steve Jobs, like especially like in tech companies like Apple, if they have all the resources, if they have all the people around them that they need, if they have all the opportunity, if they have all the policies, procedures, the systems, if they have everything they need, and now it's, okay, now go do it, now jump. Then they're kind of more ready to kind of go do that. But in my mind, a guardrails kind of thing can kind of be, hey, I'm going to pull you back in at some point. Yeah. Or I'm going to kind of rebound you back over here at some point. And sometimes, unless those are really well-defined, sometimes that can be kind of a, a little bit of a whiplash effect where you're like, man, I thought I had the freedom to go in this direction, but then you kind of pulled me back. And that kind of creates some potential insecurity. And that's that can be hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you create insecurity within the team that you're delegating to, you're you're losing the trust factor. And so when you have a foundation of here's everything you need, and I have, and I trust you to go do it. Now go. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a if we take that further, I think that foundation gives you some sort of flexibility as a team to mm-hmm. respond to different issues that arise. So as yeah. a, so as a leader, by giving a solid foundation, you are equipping that person to be able to jump in whichever direction is needed at the time. Yeah. Whereas with the guardrail approach, you're setting them up to follow your vision, which may yeah. which may work and may be effective. And yeah. certainly there are certain types of people that need that sort of guardrail approach. Yeah, for sure. But ultimately, in the long term, by setting up those guardrails, you're limiting their ability to respond to situations that, that arise. Yeah. And I think like, I mean, any person who's ever worked with people long enough and has served on a team long enough, they will sit there and go, there are some people, that, like you said, who need guardrails. And I would venture to say that guard guardrails are meant to be temporary. Mm-hmm. That it should be one of those things where it's like, okay, until maybe you prove, you've proven yourself to me and the team that you can operate outside of those, then we can remove them. But at any point where we feel like you know things are getting a little bit too moving in the direction that we don't really want to go in, then you can kind of put up the guardrails again. Yeah. And that's where, and, and we, and there has to be good communication in that. And that brings me to my second point in terms of how to spark curiosity within, within church, within leadership and all that stuff is you have to have feedback loops. Mm-hmm. You have to have two way feedback between the leader and the person they are leading that they are both giving each other feedback. Hey, you're doing great. Keep going. And which again, builds trust and encourages them to keep going and then they're also giving feedback to the leader saying, hey, I've seen this. Can I potentially work on this? Or can we change it this way? And once that um, once that channel of communication is there, then curiosity and creativity, that can just run rapid because there's a mutual trust and there's open communication to be able to allow those opportunities to be played out. Yeah. As leaders, our vision is somewhat limited. We, we can only see so far. Steve Jobs said, much of what I stumbled into by following my curiosity and intuition turned out to be priceless later on. 
And, and I think that speaks to the idea or to the reality that as leaders, we can only see so far ahead. And mm-hmm. so we, we may not know what is going to be, what building blocks are critical to achieving the end goal because the end goal is so far away. It's just obscured. It's hard to see. I really appreciate that. And one of the things that I've noticed in my time uh, being on church, so Jackie and I, when we stepped into our church role, and even in, in uh, at the role at the university, the tenure for the people before us wasn't necessarily super long. If they had done at least two years, then it was good. Like that was that was a long time mm-hmm. in, in cons- considering the circumstances. And and so there's a certain level of uh, patience that we had to have in terms of our curiosity. There's a certain level, but there's also like part of it was Jackie and I. Yes, we had patience, but there's also like let's just go. We have this idea. Let's just run with it. And our senior pastor and and, and the, my supervisor here at the university, both of them were just kind of like, you get the basis of this. You get the mission. You get the vision. You get all these things. Now just go. Mm-hmm. And let us know. And I loved this was so good. They were just like, let us know when we can help. And then it really put it on me to come back and make sure I was receiving the help when I needed it. I mean, there's definitely times where we probably should check in more with the people on our team being like, hey anything I do, anything I do. And again, that's the feedback loop kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. But then as leaders, when our team comes up with creative ideas or have, or are, are kind of wondering or being a little bit curious about something and are trying to pick through if we're doing the right thing or the best thing, or if there's something else we could be doing, I really believe we owe our team the respect to listen and allow them to play that idea out. One of the things I struggle with, re- and, and I do, and I, I'm, I'm really bad at this. I, at this point, I'm really bad at, I, Jackie will say an idea and I'll be like, that won't work. And I'll just kind of like, just because like, she'll give one sentence. She says, what if we do this? And I'm like, that won't work. And I'm ready to move on. And she'll be like, okay, hold up. Let's talk about this. What, here's my thinking. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, well that makes sense. She's like, yeah. So it can be, e- it is easier to shut things down. Yeah, for sure. The hard work is to listen ask questions and really wrestle with the idea. Mm-hmm. And I think we and I think the misconception is that when we listen to other pe- people's creative ideas or their curious the curiosities that they're working through that we're going to have to do them. But in my experience, when we fully listen to the idea, when we've gotten everything we need to get, when we've heard all of the opportunity in front of us and then we go, "You know what? I've heard it. I see where you want to go with it, not right now." that tends to be received a lot well, a lot better. Yeah. And I really appreciate that. And I wonder how many times we're just stopping ideas dead in its tracks because it's easier to say no, or we feel like we don't have the resources. We feel like we don't have the time to do it. And really, I think when we start to set a culture where curiosities can be explored, then we also set up a culture. The result is we can also easily set up a culture of collaboration too. Mm. When we're starting to have that open communication between leader and person they're leading and then other people within the team that they're leading. And when you start to set a space where people have the foundation, which they have, and they can start to jump out of that and start jumping into these different circumstances, situations, and you let and you bring more people into that, then you've reached the heart of collaboration. And in my experience, in both in ministry and in administrative tasks and in system structures and all of those things... When an entire team feels like they have the trust of their employer or their leader to go, what do you want to do? What do you think would work here? 
by the end of that meeting, the idea of the whole team is a lot better than the idea that one, the leader had by themselves or two, the individual who started the idea started like had started with. That's great. The holistic approach of bringing other people into the idea process as, yeah. as opposed to just the follow through, the delegation yeah. of the task, the delegation of the thinking and the vision planning. And I'd like to take these ideas and kind of shift our conversation now away from leadership settings and towards the church. Because mm-hmm. I think okay. what we do a lot in the church is set up those guardrails and shut down questions. And I think part of that comes and from... we call it doctrine. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> part of it, I think, is that we don't have all the answers. And so yeah. questions can be frightening, yeah. especially when we're not well-equipped to answer them. So what can we do to foster curiosity even in situations where maybe there is no straightforward answer. You know, initially my mind goes to, is the space safe enough for that to happen? Mm-hmm. Do the people within that staff or within the church congregation feel a, a certain sense of belonging to be able to take some ownership in what the church is doing and in what the church is wrestling with and be able to explore different opportunities in that? Yeah, and we talk about faith as a foundation, And so maybe this ties in really nicely with the guardrails versus foundation analogy in that letting people seek out the answers that they need can only strengthen the foundation if it's done within a safe space. And I think part of it is, I think there's this misconception within the church that leaders in the church or even Christians in general have to have all the answers. Yeah. And I think we get a little bit uncomfortable with the I don't knows. And I've seen a lot of pastors get really uncomfortable with saying, or they're not as comfortable as I'd like them to be with saying, you know what? I don't really know that. Let me get back to you. And that's what I wish. And that's what I'm trying to push myself to do more. It can be so easy when like a college student comes up to me and says, hey, I'm wrestling with this. Or, hey, what are your thoughts on this? I'm like, boom, answer, solved. When really, I'm not meant to be someone's Google. And -hmm. not that like these aren't bigger things than just like some Google search. But I'm saying like, if it's just, hey, I'm going to go to Zach, Zach's going to answer him, I'm going to go to Zach, Zach's going to answer, it's just back and forth. I'm not helping them with their curiosity whatsoever. Yeah. And what's funny is, how often does Jesus, when he's asked a question, responds with a question? Or a story. Or a story. Yeah. And so I think part of enabling our congregation, enabling the people around us to engage in curiosity is when they do ask us for guidance responding with, well, what do you think? And allowing them to flesh it out a little bit more and allowing us to have some grace for when the answer is not right. Yeah. Our faith is a relational faith. And so we often open scripture seeking a verse that answers directly the question that we have. And unfortunately, that's just not how the Bible is written. And so finding these answers is in a way designed to push us towards community and finding answers in relation with each other, in relation with scripture and our context and prayer. And can I make it a little bit more practical for us? Yeah. So, and I'm going to bring, I'm going to make a political, if that's okay Ooh, with you. Okay. Feel yeah, free to sure. edit this out. But, uh, so we just, we, I don't like we, like I had anything to do with it, <laughs> but there's a new speaker of the house. We just, mm-hmm. we just elected a new speaker of the house, yes, right? I did that too. Yeah. You did that too. That's why you're in DC. And one of the quotes that kind of keeps surfacing is like, what is his stance on a bunch of things? And he's saying, well, what's the Bible stance on this, right? And which is hilarious. We've talked on this podcast before of this set of scripture 
may not directly apply to everything we're doing in 21st century America. But what I was, uh, the senior pastor at our church, at College Church the other day was preaching on, was preaching out of the lectionary, and he's preaching out of the text where the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus, classic, and they just say, um, who are we supposed to give our money to? Are we supposed to uh, to give our money to the Roman government or the Roman Empire, or do we keep it ourselves and mm-hmm. use it to help? Like, you know, they're trying to trap him, and Jesus is in this really tough position where he either says, no, keep it, and then goes against Roman law, or says, no, give them the money, which then and keeps this oppression kind of happening or makes the people upset. And he just says, of course, the classic line, give to Caesar what Caesar's, give to God what's God's. And what my senior pastor pointed out to uh, the congregation a couple Sundays ago was that is the only text in the Gospels. That's the only comment from Jesus about the Roman Empire. And so we do not have a lot of Jesus' sayings that directly apply to people being governed by a larger body. And so for us to sit there and go, oh, yeah, this text automatically applies to this situation at times is difficult. Now, Paul writes about government. Of course, Old Testament stories is all about kings and, and, and nations and all that stuff. Like, there's a lot of stuff in there. But when it comes from the words of Jesus, there's not a lot of commentary on what our relationship with the government is other than, yeah, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, but I want the rest of I want You can give him your money, but I want the creation that mm-hmm. my father created. That's what we want. That's what we're here for. And that's what you should care about. And so... When it comes to wrestling with these things, when it comes to curiosity and creativity, there are not a lot of easy answers in scripture. Yeah. And I like, and I think that makes us a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I think being uncomfortable is the first step towards the next step in your faith journey, towards the next step in finding the answer or coming to peace with the uncertainty. Play that out for me. What does that look like? What I was hoping to end with here, and so this is probably good timing, what I was hoping to end with here was the steps for engaging in a curious life. Hmm. What does it take to be curious? The first step to being curious is deprivation sensitivity, which is a fancy way of saying being sensitive to when your knowledge does not align with the knowledge that you want. Hmm. That's the first step. Humility. Yeah. Absolute humility. Yeah. Recognizing that you have a gap in knowledge that you yeah. want to fill. Mm. And then two is joyous exploration, which is this drive to seek out answers either for pleasure and joy or to satiate this deep desire to satisfy the deprivation and knowledge that you have. And so for scripture, I think that looks like seeking out mentors that can help you interpret scripture. It means reading scripture, obviously, and it means engaging with the text in prayer with the knowledge that the answers are likely not right in front of you. I think that's good. And I think think we can be comfortable in the I don't know of that. Yeah. And I think as we're, there's peace that can come in the I don't know. I mean, that's what faith is. It's a deep sense of trust in something that you don't fully know. And I wholeheartedly believe that if God is someone that we can fully figure out, that is no God to begin with. There, we are creation with an infinite creator. And our creator has to be bigger than us. Our creator has to know more than us. And right when we feel like we have the answers, we are putting God in a box that he does not belong in. Mm -hmm. And so in the church, 
that is so set on being sure. I think our certainty starts and ends with the personhood of Jesus and the value he gives to his creation. The peace, the shalom, the the love, the grace, that's that is the beginning and end of it. Again, we talked about it's God creating and dwelling with his people. That's how the book starts and the book ends with God dwelling with his people once again. It's God saying it's good. It's God ending it, it with it's good. And in the middle, there's a lot of confusing stuff. It, mm-hmm. It's and that's okay. We can, and that's why we have different denominations. That's why we have different churches. That's why we have all of these different thoughts. And for us to sit there and go, we have this. We're good to go, and we've got it figured out. I'm just, I'm just not a fan of it. I yeah. love the list you gave. Did you create that on your own? No, I found this online. Oh, yeah, okay. I can, I can sort Cite your the, sources. Cite your yeah. sources. Wide lens leadership. Hey, oh, that sounds yeah. credible to me. There's, it's actually a longer list than this, but these are the ones that I pulled out that I thought would really connect to what we were talking about here. Mm. Um, and I, and I want to go back to what you just said and add what a joy it is to be able to seek out answers and to no. be able to ask questions knowing that, that our God is immeasurably more. I just think that's so incredible. And be, getting to engage in this idea of progressive revelation of uncovering who God is throughout our lives through being curious and asking questions is, I mean, it's something that I try to center my life around. It's just such a meaningful and enjoyable part of life that I think yeah. we would we would be remiss to just set up guardrails and mm-hmm. prohibit people from being able to engage with Jesus that way. Well, cool. That's a wrap of our leader number two, Steve Jobs. I loved it. I'm thinking we should attempt Taylor Swift next week. I feel like we have to as number three. Oh, no. I think there's a lot we could talk about. There's a whole tour. I'm actually going to see her movie on Friday, this Friday. Actually, the day this episode drops, that night, I will be seeing the Taylor Swift movie in Naperville. I know. Jackie got tickets. I'm surprised. Wow, okay. You went to the concert. Why are you saying you're surprised with me going to see a movie? You saw the concert. I had a good time. I won't dismiss that. But I don't know if that I would choose to sit in a theater with a bunch of people screaming Taylor Swift songs. Yeah, I'm interested to see how it goes. I'm really excited because Jackie's just talked about the concert ever since it happened. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm trying to figure out how many comments I should make about her relationship with Travis Kelsey. Like... Ah. Like when like I I have like this joke kind of lined up where when she first appears on screen during the movie, I'm just going to shout, oh, my word, it's Travis Kelsey's girlfriend <laughs> and just see everyone get mad at me. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know. I, I I have that locked and loaded. We'll see how it goes. All right. Are you going to wrap up this episode or not? <laughs> yeah. Fine. I'll wrap it up. Um, <laughs> well, everyone, that's been our episode of Cole and Zach in the morning. We're super thankful for you. If you have any feedback, we would love to hear it. Cole and Zach in the morning.com as well as Cole and Zach in the morning on Facebook or Instagram. We'd love to get your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Any ideas? Leader number three still up in the air. But Taylor Swift's my vote. Have a great week, everyone. See you, everyone.